I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Beta Ray College Football Statistical Model, and the home of your Pac-12 gambling device. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. And another week, another great guest. Again, we are committed to going out, finding awesome people that are covering the sport and uh, just from a different perspective. And this week we got Adam Rittenberg from ESPN who covers the big 10. And um, I am joined by West coast college football to have a great conversation with him. What's going on West coast. Hey, not much. Glad to be back on speaking with you guys. Yeah. Glad to have you. Um, We are going by the way to get to our all pack 12 team. I haven't forgotten about that. And um, it's going to be a little bit more difficult because we have a lot of uh, players that have decided to go pro um, and join the NFL. And, you know, rightly so, right? Like, we don't know what's going on in the season. We just watched BYU just boat race uh, Navy and uh, and then realized that Navy hadn't, like, actually practiced tackling for nine months. I mean, it's going to be a weird year, man. Um, we've seen, like, 21-point upsets and all that stuff. So if you're a pro um, or somebody that has an opportunity to go pro, it kind of makes a lot of sense. Uh, Penny Sewell is, is the latest uh, example of that West Coast. Uh, what do you think about kind of the – it's not an exodus yet, but it's a lot of big names that have started to uh, depart. Yeah, it's been really interesting to follow. You know, uh, I think in the past week – Lenore and Graham, both corners at Oregon, announced that they'd be leaving early. Uh, Penny Sewell, obviously a big one. Uh, Walker Little from Stanford. Uh, Cameron Bynum from Cal. So Joe Tryon a couple weeks ago. Uh, so it's just been a lot of big, big names. And you do wonder, you know, how many more names will, will come out in the next few weeks. Yeah, Elijah Vera Tucker was, uh, I think yesterday, decided that he was going to enter the NFL draft. And I'm curious to see the transfer the people that decide to transfer that maybe don't want to play or like aren't quite certain about their role as they play, you know, at Arizona, you had Tony Fields leave. Then the Schooler brothers left at Washington state. We have a number of wide receivers that have decided to leave the program and Clooney, by the way, the one, the, the gentleman that um, um, ended up recording that phone call with Nick Rolovich has decided to transfer. So it's interesting to see that exodus is funny. I know Rob sent out uh, over Twitter. He said, who, who would have thought that having a ton of NFL talent would be a detriment to your program in 2020? Yeah, it's really interesting, too, because, you know, one thing we need to follow is with all these players leaving, at what point do we start seeing a new Pac-12 favorite emerge? You know, it's it's almost like if Oregon loses so much talent in Washington and USC, then, you know, what point do we start talking about maybe ASU as the team that uh, could win the conference or Utah? So it really will shake up the 2020 season whenever it does get played, because, you know, these top tier teams are no longer going to have a lot of their best players oh don't say that don't say that uh ralph amston was is going to just go berserk right now just uh, putting that all over <laughs> twitter <laughs> no i but you're right you're i mean like it was funny i was thinking about that too i'm like okay so usc is losing um just two monster bodies in the trenches you have oregon losing their top corners 
and their top left tackle. And I'm assuming there's probably going to be a few more. It's, and it's such a bummer, too, because that defense, we were so excited for the Oregon defense this year. Um, we just thought it was going to be so, so good. And obviously, Washington's defense, too. I'm sure we'll see uh, possibly a name or two on the offense or defense decide to take a step back, although it's a younger team in, in Seattle. So maybe not as many as Oregon. Um but then you kind of look around and you go, all right, who's left? Like, who's up? And so, you know, maybe it's Cal uh, that is able to squeak through. You got Chase Garber still there. You have ASU that hasn't lost anybody yet to the draft, which is great news for them if there is a season. Um, man, I'm trying to think who would be the next one up besides them. I mean, after that, there's a significant drop off, right? Yeah, I think it's Utah might be the next team after that. Uh, you know, I think that the biggest. I do think that Washington is going to lose a couple more players on defense um, and Oregon's going to lose a couple more on defense as well. So that makes their defense come back down to earth and USC is losing people on both sides of the ball. And I think there are going to be a lot of, a lot more big names coming out of USC uh, announcing their departure soon. So I do think that Cal has relatively held onto their players. I think they've only just had Cameron Bynum and then Luke Baquette transferred um yeah asu hasn't lost anyone so i mean at this point asu really is climbing the chart pretty rapidly maybe like uh if stanford can only hold on to just losing walker little maybe they'll have a a chance i mean they've recruited well in the past yep we are firm for herm here at 12 pack radio so excited to see that program (laughs) continue to improve um even if it's to the detriment of other programs um yeah we'll we'll keep an eye on this obviously i guess one other little piece of news is there's been some grumblings uh not grumblings probably the opposite uh, way of putting it but there's been some whispers about like some optimism for a possible spring season we'll see i've always like assumed that that was going to be the case just because the money that's at stake um you know be obviously the quick tests that are coming out for covid will be a big boon to the uh, but the one thing on that that kind of counters that is you got a lot of players opting out and deciding to go pro so maybe not like maybe they're just kind of seeing the quality of play that we're seeing right now and just knowing that the practices aren't going to be the same the travel is not going to be the same um but hopefully uh, at least the news on that front is a little bit more positive as we continue to move into the fall starting to hear some squawking there about a possible season now i think maybe a little sooner than uh, most people are are advocating for but um if there's going to be another conference that jumps into the pool and starts playing football, it seems like the Big Ten would be, you know, the next one up on the list. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the Big Ten has had, uh, I think, every single day in the news, there's, you know, a new story. There's someone else, a new coach coming out, uh, a new family member coming out in, you know, you know, fighting for a season to happen. So, you know, they've had talks as soon as October. Uh, the Pac-12 seems more towards – uh, January, which I don't think would be very favorable for the Pac-12 if they were to start so much later than everyone else. Um, but maybe they would get eyeballs if they were the only conference playing. Um, but it is something interesting to watch to see, you know, how the Pac-12 and Big Ten both kind of handle their delayed seasons and when they actually get on the field. Yeah, that would be funny. <laughs> That's one way to get the eyeballs, like you mentioned, uh, playing by yourself, you know, as Stanford versus ASU Rose Bowl um, is in the cards here at 12-pack <laughs> radio. Um, all right, let, let's get to Adam Rittenberg. We had a really good conversation with him, just so knowledgeable at ESPN about Big Ten football. And uh, But before we do, we're going to take a quick break. And also, if this is your first time uh, listening to the podcast, uh, we, you can find us on Twitter at 12-pack radio. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on any podcast catch. And West Coast, where can all the fine people follow you? 
Yeah, uh, follow us on Twitter at West Coast CFB. Um, and also go to our website, westcoastcfb.com, uh, and you'll find lots of great bit, uh, Pac-12 and Mountain West content. Awesome. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. And very, very excited to have this guest on the show yeah, we talk a lot about Pac-12 football, obviously, keeping on the West Coast. Kent, you know, lives on the West Coast. Maybe. You don't know where he lives. He might be on the, the far, far West Coast in Hawaii, for all we know. But uh, really trying to keep the focus on what's going on in the Pac-12. But there are other conferences out there. And as we are kind of inching, crawling, scratching our way into what what whatever will college football season will be, we thought it was important to bring on new voices that are covering um, Pac-12 uh, football or just college football in general. And uh, we are just very thankful to have Adam Rittenberg from ESPN, who covers the Big Ten. And oh, I have so many questions for you, Adam. But first of all, thank you so much for joining the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. You know, the Big Ten is just a fascinating conference. And as we're working through whether or not there's going to be spring football or delayed football, I know there's been some stuff that came out today in the Big Ten that kind of piled on basically our first question for you, which was, so what's going on in the Big Ten? (laughs) Are we going to have a delayed season? (laughs) Are we going to have a spring season where everybody's going to be playing football when it's like two degrees outside? Um, You know, obviously things are changing and we understand that, but kind of what's your feel for the tenor there um, in the Big Ten on whether or not we're actually going to see some really talented players hit the field this year? Right. Yeah, I think we're going to see Big Ten football at some point. I think we're going to see Pac-12 football as well at some point. Uh, the question is when and, and how and, and how is it going to work? Um, you know, I think there's obviously been a lot of pressure on the conference um, since it made its decision August 11th to postpone the fall football season. The process has become very political. Coaches have weighed in, you know, earlier today. Uh, James Franklin of Penn State, you know, expressed his frustration about communication issues um, that, that are ongoing and just not being able to tell, you know, his, his players and their parents why the, the big 10 postponed its season. And then you have Ryan day come out with a statement from Ohio state later in the day and Ohio state, you're really in some ways leading the campaign to return as fast as possible. You know, maybe along with Nebraska, you know, and, and Ryan, you know, basically said that, uh, you know, he, he, he remains you know, a little frustrated as to what, as to why they league postponed, but, you know, feels that from the information that, that he, he knows about the uh, the Big Ten's medical subcommittee, which has been looking at all the different benchmarks that would need to be re- uh, reached for the league to, to come back to play, uh, he, he thinks that's been good news and, and that they, they have an opportunity if the presidents were to vote again uh, and approve competition in the next few days, that they could get on the field sometime in October. Um, now, is that ambitious? I, you know, perhaps uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh of Michigan thinks his team can be ready in two weeks. And then at the end of the day, there was even more news as you know, Rutgers, uh, their president, uh, came out and uh, you know, kind of d- doused everything with reality a little bit, and expressed you know, a number of, of opinions, especially 
his ongoing concern about trying to play football when the COVID-19 numbers on a lot of campuses are, are, are increasing. And, uh, you know, he just felt that he doesn't understand why the Big Ten's received so much criticism. Also doesn't understand the involvement of President Trump uh, in, in trying to get Big Ten football back and calling that uh, uh, just kind of bad politics. And, and uh, yeah, so it's just been one thing after another. There's, there, there really hasn't been many days since the postponement that something hasn't been said or or done um, just uh, just in this conference. It's, it's been a very unique and turbulent time. Yeah, well, quick follow-up on this, and then West Coast, I know you have some really good questions for Adam as well, but you know, let's assume that there is a college football season in the Big Ten. Let's assume um, in our in our fantasy world that every player stays, and that's not happening. Obviously, we're seeing a number of players, Penny Sewell being the, the most recent one, um, just really high-caliber caliber players from top teams declare for the draft but um i kind of wanted just to celebrate a little bit what was going on in the big 10 you know before covid because there were some really really talented teams there were there were some really not talented teams (laughs) um but it seemed like there was a big upswing in uh in energy and enthusiasm for teams like minnesota for example or penn state and obviously of ohio state who you know if you're the head coach at ohio state darn right you want to play you probably have one of the best teams in the country so i kind of saw that statement of like oh yeah well you know he's got a you know he's, he's got a lot of players out there itching to hit the field um but can you kind of take us on a little tour of the big 10 and where the conference and the teams were coming into this season because i think it'll kind of set the table for some of the other questions we have Sure. Well, you know, the Big Ten, you know, got a team back in the playoffs last year at Ohio State, which was, you know, competitive and, and really in some ways outplayed Clemson, you know, but then lost uh, lost uh, a lead in the second half and ended up falling in that game. And, um, you know, so it just extended the league's drought without a, a national championship. But to your point, uh, Ohio State felt really good about its team coming back. Um, Penn State has recruited really well. And, uh, you know, had, had, had some standout players on both sides of the ball. Their quarterback was coming back in Sean Clifford, along with some you know, talented offensive skill guys around him. You know, Minnesota had its breakthrough season last year, you know, winning, uh, winning 10 games plus the Outback Bowl. Very impressive win against, uh, against Auburn, I believe. And, uh, you, you know, you looked at Iowa. Um, I think they, they had some optimism. You know, Michigan is an interesting situation because, they, um, you know, they, 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 they've had a good record under Jim Harbaugh and, and have recruited pretty well, but just haven't won the big games. But, you know, they, they were a team that, you know, was certainly in the top 25. Wisconsin was a top 25 team. Indiana was coming off of its best season in, in quite some time under Tom Allen, who's done a really nice job there recruiting. And so, yeah, the, the, the league, uh, you know, was set up to be, you know, fairly deep, fairly exciting. I mean, Ohio State has been head and shoulders above everyone in the, in the conference for quite some time, but you know, Penn State looks like a team that could challenge the Buckeyes, and you know, who knows with Michigan, who knows with uh, with some of the teams in the West. Nebraska felt that it was going to be a, a better team in year three under Scott Frost, and so yeah, that you know, it's obviously a disappointment anytime you know a season is is disrupted like this. Um, but uh, I think given the expectations around the conference, um, you know, it, it made it even more disappointing, and and and, and it, it really emboldened you know Ohio State and others to try to get this uh, get the season started again and and ideally in time to finish uh, with the, with the with the playoff and all the other conferences yeah so one major fallout um you know going with what you're saying here uh with the covid situation we lost the oregon versus ohio state game uh which would have matched up the presumed favorite in the big 10 versus the presumed favorite in the pac 12 
how do you think that game would have, you know, shook out um, on the field? Yeah, it would have been a great game. Um, you know, ideally, you know, with fans in the stands, and as you guys know, that's one of the best environments in college football, home field in college football, and Austin Stadium. And this would have been a great opportunity for, you know, Justin Fields, who who certainly uh, one of the top Heisman candidates, a quarterback. You're going into a tough environment and facing a, a defense that, uh, you know, they've really improved the talent level. I mean, they, they had quite a few holdover players and then, you know, had, had, had developed some young guys in recruiting. I really like what Andy Avalos has done as a, as a younger coordinator there at Oregon to improve their defense. And, and then you had some, you know, fun matchups. You mentioned Panay Sewell earlier, you know, him against uh, whoever, whoever was going to be the next Chase Young for Ohio State. And they obviously have talent along that defensive line and, and really throughout that defense. And so, um, yeah, I, I think Ohio State uh, would have had a chance full. I, I think they're certainly a little bit more talented overall than Oregon, but Oregon with the home field, anything could have happened. And the big question would have been, you know, how, um, how the, you know, the Oregon quarterback situation, how that, uh, how that evolves under Joe Moorhead, who, um, you know, before his, his run at Mississippi State, had been the offensive coordinator at Penn State and had uh, led Penn State to a win against Ohio State. So he has familiarity with the Buckeyes, and and, uh, and that would have been a fun, you know, kind of uh, inside the game matchup with uh, with with Joe Moorhead and and going against that Ohio State defensive coaching staff. So I think Ohio State probably wins the game, but it would have been one of the better non-conference games of the season. Yeah, I, t- I tend to lean with you on that. You know, Ohio State. Uh, just on the offensive side, so so fun. And a quick question for you too: Have you been to Otson before, Adam? I have, yeah, just once. Uh, I was there for the Stanford game, uh, the year that Mariota won the Heisman. So, no, was it was it fourteen or maybe been fifteen? Uh, I think it was fourteen. I was there in in twenty fourteen. So, obviously, the year that they uh, went to the national championship game, lost to Ohio State. Uh, but but uh, but the beat Stanford in Austin, so was able to to experience that environment for the first time. Yeah, it's so fun. We're like in the third quarter, they play the uh, shout, and they have the Animal House scene, and it's Marcus Mariota and you know former Ducks that are dancing along to it. It's just uh, something that's like super unique. And if you haven't been to a game there, um, please please go and check it out. I, I as an Arizona fan, I went just to watch Arizona lose by fifty points, just so I could be in Austin and appreciate that crowd. It's quite a good one. Um, and you know, I just mentioned Ohio State's off offensive um, skill. I mean, they just vaulted so, so high up. And I think when people think about the Big Ten, there's still this perception of that ground and pound, you know, grind out a game. But there's been an injection of youth and excitement and um, different offenses in the in throughout the conference, not just at Ohio State, but in other programs too. Would you mind kind of just walking through maybe some bright spots that we can look out for in terms of some innovation um, and energy in that offensive system from teams that traditionally you wouldn't expect it from? Right. Yeah, I think we'll start with Ohio State. You know, it's interesting. Ohio State, certainly one of the, the great traditional powers in college football, but they're they're not a team with a very decorated quarterback history. They've had good quarterbacks, and obviously Troy Smith won the Heisman Trophy back in 2006, but you know, I've covered the league pretty intensely since around 2008, and um, you know, Ohio State's been the dominant team, but they haven't had that elite NFL-level quarterback that often and and so that's what's really changing under ryan day uh you know ohio state did not have a a quarterback drafted in the first round from from 1982 uh, until dwayne haskins went the first round a year ago and you know justin fields is going to be a first round pick so so you think about that drought even though ohio state was winning 
they weren't producing first-round draft picks at quarterback for a very long time, and now they're poised to have two in a three-year span under Ryan Day. And so when I talk to people at Michigan, and you know, why, why can't we beat Ohio State, um, I think the, the biggest problem for Michigan is that you know, they are the program with a better quarterback tradition, much better than Ohio State as far as producing NFL players. But now Ohio State's got it rolling at that position, plus the overall talent they bring in, and they're scoring a lot of points. And obviously Urban Meyer had exciting offenses for much of his tenure, and now Ryan Day is, uh, you know, has brought a mix of Chip Kelly and, 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 and some of the other guys he's worked with over the years to Columbus. And so they're, they've really got it rolling now uh, on, on, from the offensive standpoint. Another inter- you know, interesting offensive renaissance of sorts was at Minnesota last year. Um, Kirk Chiraca, their off- well, their former offensive coordinator. I'll get to him in a minute. Uh, he 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 did a great job uh, bringing in you know this RPO heavy offense that uh, that was just really tough to stop. The Tanner Morgan, um, their quarterback was terrific, and uh, Rashad Bateman, who was the wide receiver of the year in the Big Ten last year, had a huge year. Tyler Johnson, they were really fun offense to watch. They had a lot of running backs. The PJ Fleck, who's their head coach, who played wide receiver, and that's a, that's a position where they're I think they'll always have a lot of talent and, and you saw them you know, really blossom last year and so much so that Penn state uh, when they had to, when they lost their offensive coordinator, Ricky Ronnie to become old dominion, old dominion's head coach, they hired Kurt Shiraka to be their new play caller hmm. and, and provide a little bit more uh, boost in their offense. So, you know, Penn state is, is a good example. We, we talked about Joe Moorhead, you know, everyone thinks of Penn state as a, you know, the Paterno teams and the, you know, very, very conservative offenses and, and so forth with a few exceptions. Joe Joe Moore had really changed that when he came to State College with Trace McSorley and that incredible you know, run they had in 2016 when they won the Big Ten. Um, so uh, you know, Penn State is on a, a pretty positive trajectory from an offensive standpoint as well. You know, you have your traditional offenses in the league. Your Wisconsin, Iowa. Uh, you know, they've they've always kind of played a certain way, but I think you're seeing you know some some better offensive play calling throughout the conference. Rod Smith who obviously you probably remember from his time at Arizona. (laughs) He's the coordinator at Illinois. And I I know Rod, I think Rod's a really good coach from the Rich Rodriguez school. So there there is a little bit, Indiana's more dynamic offensively now than they've been um, uh, recently. So I I, I think there's, uh, it's certainly a a kind of fun league to watch from an offensive standpoint with some variety in it. You touched on the experience at Autzen, um, and I'd be curious to know how that stacks up to your experience, you know, at a Big Ten game or even nationally. Um, we had, you know, we have some Pac-12 teams heading to Big Ten country over the next few years with UW going to Michigan and Oregon going to Ohio State. So I think it'd be interesting for some of our listeners to see, you know, what the environment they can expect and how Oregon uh, atmosphere would stack up. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I grew up in, in Pac-12 country you know, going to games at Cal. And, you know, uh, you know that, was a, that was a good atmosphere at times, a kind of not so great atmosphere depending on how the team was. But um, I always had that potential to, to be that kind of big-time atmosphere. I think the differences in the Big Ten is, is you're guaranteed to have, you know, the, the large, large crowds and, and tailgating and have this kind of full-day experience um, at, at big, big stadiums. I mean, you talk about Michigan and Ohio State, Penn State. Nebraska is one of the great places to see a game. Wisconsin might be my, my most uh, favorite place to visit in the big 10 to see games. And so, you know, at most of the stadiums in the league, you know, you're going to get that type of experience. Michigan state is a big stadium, you know, right in the middle of campus with a lot of tailgating around there. And, you know, people really make a whole weekend out of it. Um, so that, that's probably the difference that I, I noticed in, in terms of covering this conference and, you know, but Austin was awesome. I mean, for a smaller capacity stadium, you know, it's just so interestingly built 
and, and the noise that that's generated is is is, is amazing and uh, definitely a, a fun experience uh, to to have. And you think about Washington, uh, that's that 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 that's a great one. Um, you, you, I I was at USC Utah this past year covering that game, and you know even though it wasn't a full crowd and it was a Friday night game. You just know that you know if and when USC gets going again, that place has such a great potential to be a home field advantage and big stadium with a lot of tradition and so much history there. So you know it, it is a little bit different in the Big Ten. I think the, the big thing is you're just guaranteed to have a different level of intensity, and you know probably just the the entire day is is built around going to the game. Whereas I don't know if that's the case everywhere in the Pac-12. You know, you mentioned uh, big time stadiums. And one that always comes to mind for me is Nebraska. And, you know, they have a, a coaching change. Or they had a coaching change uh, a little earlier. And there's there's no coaching hire that's a 100% guarantee. And I know this as a Pac-12 fan because Chip Kelly came to UCLA, and I'm like, hell yeah. Chip Kelly is going to bring the noise down in Westwood. And that hasn't worked out, and maybe he can turn it around. I'm uh, not as uh, optimistic about that, but it's possible. And um, when I think of the Big Ten, one of the coaches that seemed like he was going to just knock it out of the park immediately was the hire of Scott Frost at Nebraska. Now, he's run into some challenges, and it's it's possible that he, too, can kind of get that program headed in the right direction. But what, what were some aspects of that program that maybe prevented him from getting that big pop that you kind of expected from a coach that just lit the world on fire in Florida? Right. Yeah, it was interesting about Florida, just before I get into Frost, I mean, you think about that Florida job when it came open, it was going to be Scott Frost or, or Chip Kelly were, were two of their big options. Yeah. And they end up with Dan Mullen. And it's kind of worked out of the three. That hire has worked out much better than the other two, um, with Mullen already having a Peach Bowl and Orange Bowl championship and the team that I think is a contender for the playoff this year um, with a lot of good players. But with Scott, you know, again, I think the, 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 the challenges at Nebraska – are, 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 you know, plentiful. I mean, you, you look at that, that, that program, it's not, they don't have the recruiting advantages that they enjoyed in the nineties where they were, you know, truly recruiting nationally. And then, you know, they're not even in the big 12 anymore, the big eight and then the big 12 where they were able to recruit Texas the way they did. So, you know, you know, and they had some good teams under Bo Pelini, even in the big 10. I, the thing that I've noticed is that their level of talent on defense has fallen off significantly. And that's the area where I think they still uh, have a ways to go. I think you look at Scott Scott's background and, and and what he did at Oregon and UCF and and uh, you know even a little bit at Nebraska his first year. I mean they they should be able to score points and and, and find playmakers on offense. But I, I just saw a, a gradual decline on the defensive side of the ball at the end of Bo Pelini's tenure, certainly throughout Mike Riley's tenure, and now into Scott's tenure. And so in talking to coaches in the league. That, that's where they need the, the biggest upgrade. And yeah, I, I did a piece last year uh, looking back 10 years at Donald Kung Su's uh, 2009 season. And everybody remembers Sue obviously came from the West Coast to, uh, to Nebraska. But there were so many great players on that defense, so many future NFL players. And now uh, you just look at the, the, the output that Nebraska has in the draft, and it's not very impressive. You look at their all Big Ten players on defense, not very impressive. Offensive line is another area where where the great Nebraska teams you know, were, were were among the best in the country every year on the offensive line. They haven't been uh, at that level. And I think Greg Austin's a really good O line coach, and I think they're they're going to get better there. But I, I I would just watch that defense because they're they're they've got a ways to go there. No, that's a good call. And just a quick follow up question on that. You know, you mentioned Mike Riley, 
and you know that hire Riley to Nebraska was a bit head scratching just because you know it was kind of out of the blue. But man, what Riley was able to do at Oregon State, like right, you're in Corvallis and you're building up. Now, not every one of his teams was awesome, but he'd do that like Mario eats the mushroom and then boop 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 boop. They'd win ten games and then it'd take him a few more years and boop 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 boop. Like they, he just was able to get that program kind of on a schedule, basically. What? What went wrong when he went over to Nebraska? Because the hire was interesting, and I think kind of everybody looked, cocked their head to the side a little bit, went, huh, um, we'll see if this works. And it just didn't quite get there. Um, you know, were, were there was there anything that really stood out to you that was like the biggest issue or issues while he was there in uh, in Lincoln? Yeah, it was a strange hire. I mean, I think, I think you get Mike Riley maybe 10 years earlier. Um, and, and maybe you get a different result. I, he was at a stage of his career where he was pretty comfortable at Oregon State. I still remember visiting with him in his office once, and he was telling me about you know a contract where I think if every time he won six games, he got a year tacked yeah. on. And, you know, <laughs> and it's a place that everybody knows how tough it is to win there, and there wasn't a ton of pressure. Um, and then you step into Nebraska, and it's, it's, it's such a, um, you know all-year-round pressure, attention, uh, on that program and you know they they just didn't seem to have the the best plan going in had some decent coaches on his staff but um but never really got it going from a recruiting standpoint and um and and you know again i just think nebraska is a much 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 tougher job than it was um you know obviously at the end of at the end of the 90s into the 2000s um you know and they, and they, they you know th- that was such a personality hire i mean the the, the athletic director at the time sean eichhorst um, just didn't like Bo Pelini, and Bo Pelini didn't like Sean Eichhorst, and Sean wanted more of a positive figure, uh, someone who wasn't going to you know, embarrass the program with what he said and things like that, not, not someone who wouldn't challenge people as much in Mike Riley, and you, you got him. You got a nice guy, but you probably didn't get the results that, that – you definitely didn't get the results that you were looking for. So um, it's just a, a unique place right now. Uh, I think there's certainly a feeling that if Scott doesn't win there – then who's going to win there. Um, but it's still a great place. And that was, I was reminded of that last year when I went out for the Ohio state game. I mean, what a, what an incredible environment in that stadium before the game and just the whole, the whole, the whole area around Lincoln and what it turns into on game days. So there's always going to be great interest in Nebraska football. There's always going to be great resources, but you know, it's just a more challenging place to win now because um, you know, it, 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 you, you just look at the programs that are winning um, now and it's just hard to see many of them slowing down. And where, where's the room for Nebraska to be great again? It's, it's going to be tough. Staying on the theme of coaching hires. Uh, what do you think of UW's hire of Jimmy Lake and Washington state's hire of Nick Rolovich? Yeah, you know, I, I like both hires, um, you know, certainly a big job for Jimmy as his first one, but you know, in, in getting to know him over the last few years and people that know him, I, I think that he, he he's going to be a great leader for Washington. He was a guy that uh, wherever he ended up, whether it was the NFL or another college program, whoever gave him the, the kind of first shot to lead, I think was going to, was going to be you know, glad for it. I mean, he's a guy that that has a uh, you know, very engaging personality, will do really well with recruits. But a lot of the defensive coordinators, um, I, I always tell defensive coordinators that, that, I, that I know, hey, you, know, you, you, you have to be not just good at your job, but you have to show real personality to, get these, to, to become a head coach because 
offensive guys just have to score points and they're going to get hired. You guys have to do more. And I think Jimmy really embraces that and took on a leadership role, um, you know, towards the end of, or towards the latter part of his tenure as coordinator under Chris Peterson. And obviously he's very familiar with that system. And I also like the role Ohio. Uh, you know, I think Washington state clearly a place that you need a little bit of a different approach an offensive driven approach guy, guy that has some personality, some quirks to him. I mean, that was the case certainly with Mike Leach and, and uh, you know, even going back, you know, Mike Price was an offense, you know, the, the offenses they had there when they were really rolling were, were, were very good. And so um, I think Rolo is going to do well there. It knows the West coast knows, knows the, uh, knows the junior colleges, knows the high school coaches um, and, you know, can go, can go into California, can go into some of the areas you need to go to, to get players to Pullman. And I think he's a guy that the, the fan base is really going to enjoy. And he's already done a really good job, even, amid the pandemic of reaching out to fans, uh, the Wazoo faithful and uh, connecting with them. Yeah. And the islands too, getting those big guys, man, from the islands, such a big deal and a big pipeline for the West coast. Um, uh, just a, a place that's just, just brewing with talent there. Um, all right, I'm, we're gonna we're gonna ask a couple get real questions here. A couple get real questions. So I gotta be. So before we do, where where can people find you, Adam? What do you got going on? Like you know, obviously your stuff on the Big Ten is amazing, but like where can people find you or find your work? Do you have any projects with ESPN that you want to highlight? Right. Yeah, we can obviously find a lot of my uh, writing news mainly, but but I'll, I'll be featured on our ESPN.com college football page. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at ESPN. Rittenberg um, occasionally will be hosting on Sirius XM, the college channel, so including the Pac-12 channel. So, um, and, and I'll, I'll be doing uh, a lot of my work is for our E-plus subscription part of our website. I'll be having columns every Monday throughout the season. So check, check those out for sure. But I also have other stories as, as things develop. So, um, yeah, it's very, it's very news heavy right now. But as the games really get going here, uh, I'll be able to kind of dive into more of those types of breakdowns and stuff on coaches and 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 teams and sort of an inside look at college football yeah that's the fun stuff like it gets exhausting (laughs) once the games are being played the news is more like who who's injured and like what's the scheme change that kind of stuff that's the type of uh, news that can be really really fun so just appreciate you grinding away as we try to move forward to towards the season but um all right here's a question for you was was adding Rutgers and Maryland really worth it in the Big Ten? Like, you know, I mean, I, I get, I get it, I get why you did it, but um, at the end of the day, do you think the uh, leadership there uh, saw that as a net plus getting those markets into the conference? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard. I don't think Jim Delaney, the former commissioner, will ever say it was a bad move, but um, certainly it's uh, it hasn't been a you know a splashy addition either of them so far. Uh, you know, I guess you know, time will tell if, if, if with the added resources that the Big Ten brings, if uh, if they can grow their programs. I mean, Rutgers hired Greg Schiano this past offseason, bringing him back, you know, brought a lot of enthusiasm uh, to to that program. You know, Maryland's got a really uh, you know, good good recruiter in Mike Loxley, who, you know, uh, was at Alabama, won a national title there, and you know, kind of resurrected his career. So it'll be interesting to see if they can improve as well. There's, there's certainly potential at both of those programs. And they do bring in, you know, regions of the regions of the country that that help the Big Ten in recruiting. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of Big Ten schools are now recruiting in, in the Washington area. A lot of the Big Ten schools already recruited in New Jersey, but you know, even more so now. Michigan's done a really good job there. Wisconsin for years recruited out of New Jersey. Same with Nebraska, Iowa, and so you know, those those new areas are, are, are certainly helpful as uh, as this uh, as this conference goes forward. But as far as the actual performances and and the added value, it, it hasn't been. 
I don't think anyone, anyone would, 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 would be wild about those additions. But to be fair, Nebraska has won a grand total of one division title <laughs> since joining the oh, league no. almost a decade ago, and they've been, they've been in the easier division every year. So uh, I don't think anyone's saying that Nebraska is a terrible addition, but I, I, you know, as far as actual production, uh, they have been a disappointing one. Yeah, and they don't even have the hot tub like Rutgers does. I mean, you know, at least Rutgers has the hot tub. <laughs> But uh, no, that's a good right. point on the recruiting right. front. You know, that Tidewater area is such a big deal in the D.C. Um, I, I was out there for a long time. And uh, obviously, New Jersey is such a big deal for uh, bringing in players. So good point on that front. Uh, what else you got, West Coast? Yeah, so Adam, uh, which Pac-12 teams that, you know, maybe haven't had a lot of success recently, um, but do you feel that has a high ceiling that could rebound and become a good program over the next three to five years? The Pac-12, sorry, you, could have, is that, you say Pac-12 program? Yeah, Pac-12. You know, it's interesting. I think Arizona State is an interesting program if they can continue to recruit and, and develop. I like their young quarterback uh, and what he was able to do. I was at their Oregon game, uh, for most of the game at least, uh, last year. Um, so that that's an interesting place uh, that, that could see some growth. I think Cal has done a nice job. I think Justin Wilcox is a really good personality fit for, for Cal. And, and you've seen how, how much better they've, they've gotten on defense just in a few years with his leadership and I think offensively, they're going to, you know, slowly get better there. And um, so I think that's a, that's a program that, you know, again, enhances the PAC 12 North even more. UCLA, I struggle with guys. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned Chip Kelly and I, I thought it was an app. I wrote a piece about this. It was absolutely a home run hire. You know, they, they also finally built a, a strong on-campus facility, which was a big issue for UCLA, but it's a program that, you know, it, it, it just you, you look at the history. It's one of the biggest underachievers in the sport. It's just how rarely they win the conference and where they're located. And they have some history, but, you know, they, they should have way more history than, than, than they do as far as high-level success. And so it's just hard to buy into UCLA as, as ever being a consistent winner. But uh, it, it's certainly possible. It's, I would never rule them out. What do you think is holding UCLA and USC back? Uh, you know, they're very they're in fertile recruiting territory, and you know, they should be, you know, some of the most elite programs in college football. You know, what do you think has been the biggest, you know, holdback for them? You know, I, I think I, I, we could certainly look at coaching hires um, and, and missing on, on some coaching hires, especially at USC. I think both programs, to a degree, just getting back to the facilities conversation, you know, just kind of rested on the rested back while other programs uh, went forward in terms of investments. And it's not just facilities, but it's it's how big is your recruiting staff? You know, are are you paying your 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 assistants and your support staff you know, the, the 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 top dollar uh, to to compete with the great programs? And and you know, you're even seeing this with Oregon going down to, to California. But then your programs like Clemson and Alabama are getting great players out of the state of California. Like that shouldn't happen. So I, I think you know, USC seemingly made some some strong investment in their program. You know, even in deciding to keep Clay Helton, you know, they gave him the resources to go out and hire uh, you know a lot of new assistant coaches, including you know, Todd Orlando as defensive coordinator, but also some strong recruiters. They've invested more in their recruiting department. You know, in, in trying to just reestablish themselves as a as, as the premier program for talent in Southern California. Um, and then again, UCLA. I mean, if you went to UCLA five or six years ago. And then you go to any of the top programs and you compare the talent. Oh, no, no, sorry, not the talent, but the facilities and the resources. I mean, it was kind of embarrassing to see where UCLA was. I mean, I, I, I know Rick, Rick Neuheisel pretty well. I know he called them out when he was still the head coach there as far as their facilities. It just, you, you know, you, you can only rely on, on, 
on being in LA and having a beautiful campus so much. I mean, you, you still got to show that you care about winning in football. And I think both of those programs, you know, that level of investment hasn't always been there. Well, UCLA just realized that they could fundraise for their athletic department. That that was a new, <laughs> new thing for them. I saw the story. <laughs> not, was... not, 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 a, not a bad venture, yeah. <laughs> There's this story that said uh, UCLA uh, raises $1.2 million to, you know, fill in the COVID costs. And I read it as $1.2 billion. I'm like, wow. And I'm like, what? Oh, $1.2 million? Get out of here. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> uh, which is a lot of money, you know, for most people. But we were talking about college football. It is uh, uh, not quite at the uh, level of some of the other programs in the fundraising. Um, all right. So one one more question along those lines. You know, we there there certainly are some issues in the Pac-12 in terms of uh, distribution and eyeballs and all that stuff. Some of them can be fixed and some of them, frankly, can't be fixed um, in a short amount of time. Uh, the Big 12 certainly has done an excellent job in terms of revenue and eyeballs and passion and fan base. There's, there's just a lot of stuff that um, come with the culture of being a Big 10 program, but also come with um, good leadership. Um, and so I'm just curious of is there anything that would be uh, an easy transition that the Pac-12 could adopt that the Big Ten is already doing that that could help the conference kind of get to that next level? Because there certainly is a lot of talent here. We're starting to see an influx of really creative offensive minds. Oregon has decided to make uh, the leap. Like you mentioned, USC is starting to invest in their uh, college football program. Washington is a team that continues to recruit at a high level. But what can the conference do as, as a, an entity to kind of raise the profile of uh, really kind of a fun, quirky part of the country? Yeah, I mean, listen, I grew up in Pac-12 country, and it's hard to see the league suffer in some ways like it has um, the last few years. And, you know, I, I, there's such an emphasis on, on conference of champions and, and being great in every sport. And it's sort of similar in the Big Ten, but you know where Big Ten football ranks, and you're seeing it now uh, in terms of the anger and the frustration uh, with, 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 with the possibility of not having a fall season or significantly delayed uh, football season you're not seeing that same outrage in the Pac-12 a part of that's because the Pac-12 uh, you know delivered its message in a much better way and and communicated much better with its coaches but part of it's that you know it doesn't matter as much and I, I think I think the, the the importance of football needs to be emphasized with with the way the league is run with how its games are are uh, are, are scheduled and broadcast and you know, certainly the Pac-12 network we could have a, probably a whole podcast about the struggles with the Pac-12 network and getting that uh, into into enough homes and, and seen enough as as it should be, the Big Ten network. I mean, had I, I, living here in Chicago, I remember the initial um, distribution fights with Comcast and other providers, and Big Ten fans were, were just losing their minds at the, the idea of of not being able to access the Big Ten network. They worked it out, and now the Big Ten network is is very widely accessible. So you've got to be able to have your your fans see the games. Otherwise, um, you know, it's just, uh, you, you know, you're hurting your product. I thought the hiring of Merton Hanks uh, was, was a really good move by the Pac-12 just to acknowledge, hey, here's somebody who, who is, a, is a known name and in charge of football and you know, has some experience at the college level at Conference USA. Um, I got a chance to meet Merton uh, just when I was down in Dallas a few years ago. And, you know, I, I, I tried I, – I meet a lot of famous people – and I don't really care when I meet them, but having grown up a 49er fan and remembering the chicken dance, 
Like it was a big deal, guys, for me to meet Merton Hanks. Like, like I almost wanted to do the chicken dance. I didn't want to embarrass myself or ESPN or be unprofessional, but um, I was a big, big Merton Hanks fan growing up. So that was cool. It's, I, I think just you know moves like that, you know, figuring out your officiating, like not being a joke from an officiating standpoint, not having situations like what, what was it, the USC Washington State game uh, that, that, that 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 just turned into a mess. You know, obviously John Canzano has written you know so much about what's gone wrong about the Pac-12. You just can't have that. Um, it's kind of what's going on with the Big Ten right now. There's so much negativity around the league, and you you, you know that needs to stop from a football point um and 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 you know maybe it takes a commissioner change maybe it takes your restructuring uh, with the with the uh, operation there um and, and how they run their conference office uh, certainly we could talk about television so it, it it's not just one thing but it's just i i do think a a a stronger or a renewed emphasis on the importance of football and making sure that football is the premier sport that is promoted, that is invested in, and that's seen by 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 our fans, by Pac-12 fans. I think that's that that's part of this. Just just the philosophy of you know what we want to be great in tennis and and swimming and all the sports the Pac-12 wins national championships in. But you know what we need to make football the biggest priority. That needs to be expressed specifically to the Pac-12 fans in a much stronger way than it is right now. I know a couple softball uh, coaches in the Pac-12 have said, you want to support the softball team? Buy football season tickets. <laughs> so, I mean, like, football is king. It brings and supports the other programs, too. And there are a number of awesome, um, you know, Olympic sports and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, football is where it starts and ends. Um, Adam, we said 40 minutes. I have one more quick question for you, and it's the most important one. Um, did Lovey Smith ever, did you ever talk to him about his beard? Like what, I mean, it was awesome. It was glorious. Um, I'm just curious if you have any background on to the why behind it. You know, I think, I think it was just, uh, it just started happening and he went with it and it, it turned into uh, a great thing. Unfortunately, he shaved it yeah, this yeah. summer. Lovey's back to the clean shaven. Um, but I, I remember, uh, I was interviewing James Franklin, um, at big 10 media days, uh, a couple of years ago, um, and uh, well, maybe it was last year. I, I, whatever Lovey first debuted the beard, and you know, James obviously has his goatee, and you know, uh, does you know he, he he likes to look good and everything. I remember Lovey walked by, and and James just say, hey, "Coach, love the beard." I mean, so it, it even got respect among his peers that uh, that 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 look was, was certainly a hit for 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 some time. So, but yeah, no no uh, no detailed conversations with Lovey, but I would certainly welcome the return of the beard if he wants to do that at any point. I was hoping he was going to do it during coronavirus, you know? Like no better excuse to re to regrow uh, that wonderful glorious mane. Um Adam Rittenberg, thank you so much for joining the show. ESPN, Sirius XM, follow him on Twitter. Um we'll keep an eye on on your work and and share stuff out as the Big 10 uh, moves forward with their season and just really appreciate your time yeah guys i really enjoyed the conversation and uh, keep up the great work thanks for having me on thank you adam all right adam rittenberg given lots of time 40 minutes 40 minutes on the big 10 which is great i never i never thought i'd get there here this season on this podcast but um really a great conversation and obviously uh, we follow, and particularly Rob follows, just so much college football um, across the country. I'm a big fan of the Solid Verbal, and um, so it's nice to get voices on the show that maybe have a different perspective looking at the Pac-12. So very thankful for him to come on. Uh, any anything uh, that jumps to mind about that conversation there, West Coast? Yeah, I think Adam just did an amazing job. Just a great guy. Um, you know, I appreciate him coming on and. 
you know, I think that he, like you said, he's had a lot of knowledge um, about the Big Ten, Pac-12, and just college football as a whole. Um, and it is always interesting to see, you know, hear someone's opinion um, that knows so much about the landscape of college football. Right on. Well, we'll leave you there. We're going to record next week. Um, got a lot of stuff coming up. You know, we have a lot of games to come. Now, oh, one thing to mention on this show. So Rob and I started our week one preview. Um and, uh, and we did like South Alabama and some other team and Southern Mississippi. So just based off of the fact that the 23 point underdog won, uh, Navy hadn't had secretly hadn't, you know, practiced for like nine freaking months. Um, and, uh, and Southern Mississippi or I'm sorry, SMU decided not to throw the football. Um, I think we're going to put that on pause a little bit as this whole situation tries to settle itself out, um, just because it is so crazy town right now. So uh, Rob and I, Rob definitely is going to do halftime shows, Sharp College Football. Check him out there. His numbers are still up um, on the website. But we're going to kind of get a feel for where college football is going in the next couple weeks um, to see if there's more of a sense of normalcy uh, going on. I know that Miami was a 15.5 point favorite over UAB, and that game is a seven point game. So that seems like it's only almost normal and UAB actually had a game before this when they played Central Arkansas so I think things will shake out a little bit but at the end of the day like when when we highlight BYU's tight end being like the most important player outside of the quarterback on the team and then he he gets a ankle injury out for the season and then um and then BYU drops like a 55 burger only running the football. It's really, really hard. Like that normally wouldn't happen uh, in a regular college football season. So I think we're going to, you know, re- reassess here and then move forward. But we'll continue uh, recording, whether it's good voices or just talking about Pac-12 news. Um, stick with us here at 12-Pack Radio. We'll keep rolling. And uh, West Coast, thanks for your time. and look forward to talking to you next time. Yeah, thank you for having us on.